I was talking to Aaron for just a moment. I try to get a bit of a feel of what you guys have been uh, talking about the last few weeks, and I know that you're on a journey of what does it really mean to, to grow spiritually? How does someone grow spiritual growth, and how do we grow in, in Christ-likeness? And so I wanted to share just for a few moments something that God had put on our heart to begin the year with, um, something that I, God spoke to us as we went uh, away as leaders in, in November. And we were sitting around a circle doing some worship, and we did what a lot of believers do. We were doing some Lectio Divina, which is simply Latin for means spiritual reading. I think some of you are familiar with that. You're nodding your heads where you, you take a passage of Scripture, and you read it through three times, and you say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? And so we were doing a large section of Romans 12, and we kept on coming back to the first two verses of Romans 12 from the message. And most of you know uh, Eugene Peterson that was a pastor for about 32 years, and his people were coming in, you know, week after week, you know, truck drivers and nurses and stay-at-home moms and young people, and the versions of the Scripture weren't really touching people. So he started one verse at a time, translating from the Greek and the Hebrew, much like Ken Taylor had, had done many years before with The Way, and he started translating Scripture into, into uh, idioms and phrases and words that people could understand, which we call now the message. And of course, he passed away this past year, and uh, we have found at times uh, the message has been able to grab our heart in a, in a fresh way. And so, we came up with this phrase uh, from Romans 12.1, where he talks about your ordinary everyday life, your ordinary everyday life. And God started to speak to us and saying, you know, we're always talking about the sensational. We're talking about, you know, a conference, or we're talking about this big event. And, you know, so many times the last 10 years, uh, you know, all of our teenagers and young adults, they go to these conferences and and the people who are often celebrated are the people, you know, who go to Africa or go to India or, or do some crazy thing. And a lot of our young people and, and young adults, even people in our churches are saying, but, but hey, where is God when I'm like doing laundry for the 40th time this week, right? Where is God in this job that I find myself in? And, you know, my friends are off doing these exciting things. Can God be there in the midst of this job? Can God be in the midst of even a place like Carlton Place? Of course He can. <laughs> and so we just started to, um, to, to pray about that and, and, and teach about that. And I just felt like we were supposed to just look at that for a couple moments today, this little cartoon that was up on Facebook. You know, what will the new year bring? And it's like we've got these 365, well, how many days left now? 345? Are we close to 345? <laughs> okay. Someone can do math here. You know, we, got, we have 345 days before in front of us here this year of opportunities, opportunities to know God, to love God, to love our families, to love our neighbors, and, and so on. So here's the passage. It's, I have, think I have it for you here in Romans 12, 1 to 2. So in the light of everything that Paul had written for 11 chapters in, in Romans, all the th 
all the message about the goodness of God and the blessings of God and, and the work of Jesus Christ and how He's bringing Jew together and Gentile together as one church. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, going to work, walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. There's a lot of that going on, isn't there? Without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. I was meditating just on those verses, and you can see that there's these two powerful forces at work that Paul's talking about. One force comes from the outside. One force comes from the inside as believers of Jesus. One from the outside conforming us, or in the old J.B. Phillips translation, some of you might remember, squeezing you into its mold. And Paul talks about another spirit, another power within transforming you. And um, the two um, words there used in the original for conforming is skiskematizo. I don't know if I'm translating. I took a, a number of years of Greek. Um, and I, but I still, I know I butcher some of the pronunciation of it, right? Siskematizo. I don't, do we have that on that next slide? I'm, I'm trying to think if that's over there, Stefan. What's on the next slide? That's someone's brain. That's not my brain. I don't know. I think I have three wheels in my brain, but Let's go, with, let's go with that. I didn't even know that was up there. Let's get the two things going. All right. So, systematizo is where we get words like um, system, schematics, and that is the word for conformity. And so, it's something, a pressure coming to, from the outside to, to make you like everybody else. So that conformity, you can be part of a religious organization, a church, and experience that. You're simply being conformed on the outside to a particular culture or way of doing things. And we know the pressures of the world as well, conforming us to, to be a certain way, to look at a, a certain way. And the other word that's used is uh, where we get the, mor the word metamorphosis, of course. You guys have heard of that before, metamorpho. And that's the word of being transformed. And that is a, a spiritual power from within that when we give our lives to Jesus, I mean, I did that when I was 13 years old for the first time. I was baptized and 
then wandered around in a wilderness for a few years after that, of course, but came back and gave my life to Jesus in a fresh way and experienced God. But the Holy Spirit within us is transforming us. He's metamorphing us into the image of Christ, this power from within. And, and Paul is saying, and this makes a lot of sense for Paul as he's, he's explaining about the law and the gospel and all of his letters. He knows about the outside powers to conform and the inward power to change. And he's saying you can be transformed, metamorphosis, on the inside through the renewing of your mind. And so this is the one thing I want to share with you this morning. And I, I'm not going to speak for a long time. You know, if my wife was here, she'd roll her eyes at this moment, right? But she's not here. So <laughs> Bruce Lee's rolling his. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I'm going to share with you is there's something about in the renewal of our mind of offering up our real life to the Lord and not our imagined life. And that's where you get this simple phrase that I just hit me in the middle of uh, the week before of, of letting go of the ideal and offering up the real your real life, your real life with your secret addictions, my real life with my secret addictions, my real life with, with all of the brokenness and the pain and, and the things that are still haven't been figured out yet. Now, we have this real self, and then we have this imagined real self, Right? Like, I still play hockey three times a week. And I used to be a really fast skater when I was 18. 41 years ago, and we're all ages playing, right? So I have the puck, and I'm coming down on this defenseman, and in my mind is my imagined self. And it's all in my head. I fake to the left, go outside to the right. And as I am lying on the ice with my face in the snow and slush and the puck 12 feet behind me. I have fully realized that there is a distinct difference between my imagined self and my mind and my real capabilities at this age. But I will be back again next Saturday doing that because two weeks ago I picked up the puck at center ice and I went to the blue line and my ideal self said, fake this way and go between the defensemen, go in, go and slip puck to my backhand and put it high above the goalie's glove. And it worked for the first time in 14 years. <laughs> right? So once in a while there is a connection between your ideal self and your false self, but not very often. And you can always tell the guys playing hockey at my age who are like, you know, banging the glass with their stick and screaming and yelling and cursing and so on. They're supposed to be in the NHL and they're 67, <laughs> right? We always kid, hey, did you get that call from the Leafs yet? You know, did you get, you know? Not the Sens, the Leafs, right? So I imagine that, right? 
Well, now, if my wife was here, I might word the next sentence differently. But Anne is here to keep me true with Aaron. We have our imagined ideal spouse in our minds. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, I do. Don't think too hard. <laughs> then we have our actual real spouse. And of course, in my life, they're the same. Bruce, it's the same for you, right? I think it is. I'm going to use someone else as an example. Um, we have our um, imagined ideal job, right? And then we have our real job. We have our imagined ideal children. Chubby, right? Then we have our actual child, right? <laughs> we'll say, what does he say? What does that man say? Oh, here's a good one. We have our ideal imagined church. And then we have the actual church we belong to. And that goes for pastors too. We have this actual imagined church of the way things should be right now in our history. And then we have our actual church we have right now. And our actual goal and is... And all of these things that we're constantly struggling with, and every time we meet someone else that's different than us or a little bit more successful or so on and so forth, it throws it all into topsy-turvy again and so on and so forth. And I could go on like this forever, but this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me is let go of the ideal and offer up the real. So the only thing we can sacrifice to the Lord, the only thing we can give up to the Lord is our real selves. As C.S. Lewis said one time, may it be the real self that is praying, and may it be the real God that we are praying to. Whew. And by the way, that's, that's what makes prayer meetings exciting, is <laughs> when it is the real self praying real words, and sometimes they're just two words, right? And it's the real God that we're praying to. That's when reality comes. It's actual. This is, this is who I am in my... <laughs> In my, in my realness, a word that we often overuse, I know. So it doesn't mean that we don't uh, change, or we don't call people to accountability, or that we believe for better things for our lives. But I do, it does mean there's a tremendous healing and there's a tremendous um, traction, if you like, when we say what mental health people say and recovery people say all the time. It is what it is. There's something tremendously healing as we offer that up. We come into a whole new place of loving our church for the way our church is right now. Loving our spouse for who they are right now. Loving our children for how they are right now. Loving ourselves for how we are right now. There's a tremendous healing in that. It gives us actually some traction to move forward as we embrace our real selves. So, I have, as we embrace and offer up the real, the ordinary, everyday realities of our life, then God can infuse each moment and each reality with His presence. God can't fill an ideal, God can't fill perfection. 
God can only touch and fill and anoint that which we truly are. And when we accept Him that way, then He comes in incredible ways. And then the mundane, the mundane Tuesday mornings, the crazy Saturday evenings, the hectic Friday afternoons, whatever it is, as we offer that up to the Lord, then He can come. I'm going to read one quote here from uh, Eugene Peterson, as we've mentioned him already. And this is from his, one of his books that he wrote when he was out west at, uh, at Regent College. Uh, Christ plays in 10,000 places. I think it's a quote from uh, um, Manley Hopkins. Is it Gerard? Gerard or G Gerald? Gerald? Gerard Manley Hopkins. That phrase... He used it for a title for his book. And I love this. He said, God's great love and purposes for us are all worked out in messes in our kitchens and our backyards in storms and sins. We sang about the storms today. Blue skies, the daily work and dreams of our common lives. God works with us as we are and not as we should be or think we should be. Jesus enables us to take seriously who we are and where we are without being seduced by the intimidating lies and illusions that fill the air so that we needn't be someone else or somewhere else. Jesus keeps our feet on the ground, attentive to children, in conversation with ordinary people, sharing meals with friends and strangers, listening to the wind, observing the wildflowers, touching the sick and the wounded, praying simply and unselfconsciously. Jesus insists that we deal with God right here and now in the place we find ourselves and with the people we are with. Jesus is God here and now. And there's something about spiritual growth when we are really honest with who we are and where we are right now, totally honest, and say, you know what? God absolutely loves me and understands the secrets of my heart and understands exactly my struggle right now, and it's okay. I'm not saying sin is okay, but I'm saying that things cannot change until we are with that and see God, see God right here and now. And I just sense there might be a few people here today with that, that message today, that your life, even though Eugene Peterson calls it your ordinary, everyday life, that we're going to say, you know what? In Jesus' life, we know very little about those 30 years. The one time, you know, where he ditched his parents when he was 12 to teach in the 12. But he had a lot of very ordinary days with planer shavings up to his ankles. Maybe children running around him. And living that day for the glory of God faithfully until the Father had something different for him.
So faithfulness is good. My dear little friend right here, your first name again, Jessica. Bruce, do you know who Caitlin is? Caitlin is a dear friend in our congregation who went out to Kelowna and is out there now. And I met Jessica here today. I said, you're like, you're like, she's waving to everybody. You're like Caitlin's like twin sister. Unbel- Do you know Caitlin? Yeah. Unbelievable. Your presence and your spirit. And we were talking about just being faithful while you're here and helping out with the kids and the youth and doing what you can. And you know what? You're going to be like that for the rest of your life. And nobody's going to change you. And you are going to accept God. Absolutely. And um, this gentleman here with that wonderful scarf around you, when we were um, worshiping, I saw just one um, simple word across your chest, and it was delight. I saw the word D-E-L-I-G-H-T, delight. And I felt um, just to say that you are a delight to the Father a delight to the Father, and probably a delight to this congregation as well. And it reminded me of Karen and I's theme verse for our life. When Karen and I met each other um, 40, 41 years ago, we had each read the same little book, and we've never found anybody in the last 40 years that ever read the same little book. And it was based on Psalm 37. And it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And there's some desires of your heart that have already been realized, but there's going to be some new desires and some new things that God brings. But the delight is, is, really, is really something. I just see your, yourself just before the Father um, just delighting in the Lord in a new way because He delights, He delights in you. Yeah. Um, I have some other things, but I think I'm just supposed to stop there, and we're getting close. You guys have a clock at the front of your church where everybody sees it, <laughs> and the pastor can't see one at the back. We have a clock at the back, and uh, so I know we're coming near close, but the other guys, do you have a, just a, a little word to, to bring? Come up and um, share it now. Is it okay if we take a, more, a couple more minutes? And we want to pray for you as a congregation as well. I, we were so blessed by the worship this morning. Oh, my gosh. You're, you never take your worship for granted. I know we do as church people, but it was so beautiful and sweet to be here after that harrowing drive to be in the presence of the Lord. It was like not heaven, but a church. You know what I mean? That was, okay, that was just a Larryism. Yeah. Go ahead, JB. That was beautiful. I hope this fits, but um, sorry, it's, it's Jeff's fault, but it's Jeff's fault, but I just had a sense 
And I, I didn't really know where you were going to go, Larry, but I had a sense that this was time for a transaction, for us to make a deal uh, with God. And I had been praying and asking, would God come and give you a gift? And uh, just while I was here, God said, why are you so stingy? And I really got the sense that God wants to give each one of you a gift. But I also got the sense, because this picture that I have in Romans 12 is an altar, and an altar where we come and we give something. And I got a sense that it was time for us to make a transaction. And the transaction was really for you to come and for you to give your real self to God. And in the transaction stages, you give your stuff to God. And particularly, He's happy with the crap. He's happy with the sin. Jesus died to take that sin and just absorb it. And as we present it to Him as a gift, He can take it and He can start to bring the healing and all the stuff that we need. So it's time for a transaction. So whoever you are, whatever you have, whatever's hidden, whatever's there that you won't want to share with anybody, God already knows about it. So it's time to make a transaction, starting with you giving to Him your stuff. And uh, I'm kind of a physical guy, and so anybody who's willing to do that, I would like to ask you to stand. <laughs> Two, okay? <laughs> and then what I want you to do is I want you to, I don't know how to do that, okay. I want you to do is I want you to, yeah. I want you to simply take your stuff and put it on your altar, on your hands. All the stuff, and you can visually think about it and whatever, and you just take it, and you put it there, and you present it to Him. And as you make this transaction, first of all, Jesus is really pleased. He's really happy to take your gift, the gift of who you really are. And right now, He wants to give each of you a gift. Not the same gift, but a gift that is specially designed for you. A gift that only you will recognize. A gift that's just as specially designed, and He gives it to you now. And as this week unfolds, as you unwrap this gift, may you all be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thanks, JB. Two things. This, Larry's just, uh, well, you might be able to tell we all love each other. And uh, I traveled with this guy to a vineyard churches in Chile three and a half years ago. Unbelievable experience. Two things for you. Uh, connected to this. Um, one is, if you're here and you're kind of thinking about Jesus and the concept's sort of new to you, um, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, if these people are talking about giving their lives to Jesus, giving their lives to God, 
They're talking about the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Now, for you younger people, maybe you're thinking, if I do this, um, is it going to last? Or is it going to be like many of the fads with our clothes or with music? Fads come and they go. Will I get tired of Jesus if I give my life to Him? And I just want you to know, as a 70-year-old, you will not get tired or grow, grow weary or bored if you give your life to Jesus. He is, I'm, I'm more amped up about Jesus now than I've ever been. And I'm counting on God using me and my life to be the best for him ever in my life as he gives me each day. That's one thing. You will not grow tired of Jesus. The second thing is, if I take Jesus into my life, will he help me with my problems? Will he help me with my everyday life? And as Larry said, and as implied in what JB had, yes, he will help you. Will my life be problem-free? No, it won't be. But you'll always have this incredibly dear friend who knows you through and through, knows everything about you, and loves you so totally, you'll always have him with you. My wife and I have experienced things like a daughter going through an eating disorder, very, very sick. We've experienced another daughter, single pregnancy, living at home. We've experienced a daughter going through a divorce, a long ways from home. Has God, have those been easy times? Not one of those has been an easy time. Do we love the way God has worked in all of these situations? You would not believe it. What he did is just so wonderful. Only he could do these things. Am I going to continue to trust God? You bet I am. I've got no one else that I'm ever going to turn to, God willing. May you be encouraged and be helped with these thoughts. It, the word that I have in my heart is actually for the leadership here. And I really appreciate, <clears throat> Larry, your message. And, you know, when we're called to ministry and called to leadership in the church, it's very easy for us to have imagined visions um, of what church life will be and how it will transpire and take place. And then as Larry, you're talking about, then there's the realities of today. And I really sensed in my heart that God would really want to encourage you in the effectiveness of this local church. Um, when I came in through the door, there was a real tangible sense of genuineness and authenticity. And um, I couldn't get much more than 15, 20 feet down the hall without being welcomed. And from a person from out of town in Atlantic Canada, we call that being from away. Uh, <clears throat> it's welcoming is really, really important. And the, the, the word that, or the picture that God gave me is the significance of the saturation that you have had in this community. I did a little bit of math because I'm kind of a math guy. You know, I guess there's probably 150, 200 people that are part of this congregation. 
you're about a, the same size of community that I grew up in. Huntsville was about 12,000 folks when I grew up. It's probably around uh, 20,000 now. I did the math, divided your congregation size by the size of your community. And then I took that percentage and then I multiplied if you, from a saturation perspective, if you were in the city of Halifax with 600,000 people, give or take, you'd be a church of 6,000 having the same penetration impact. That's significant. If you were in GTA, it would be a church of 60,000 people. And um, God is doing amazing work here. I grew up in a small town, and I know what small town's like. My buddy Blair Wilson came from Toronto one day. We were walking down the street, both of us probably 15, 16 years old. And he's like from downtown Toronto. <laughs> and uh, we're walking down the street, and this person would say hi, and that person would say hi. And he turns to me and he goes, like, Dwight, do you know every person in this town? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, that's crazy. And, it, and uh, anyways, I said, it's, yeah, it's kind of like Cheers, you know, where everybody knows your name. And uh, there's a good side to that. And there's also some challenging sides to that, you know, because everybody knows a lot more than your name. But, uh, but there's community. And there's a depth of impact and influence in the lives of people that, and the kingdom's huge, and you guys are doing a great job. And um, I really believe the Lord's just smiling on the work of this church. And uh, I am blessed to be here. And keep going, keep doing it. And, uh, and I'm just praying that because our call is not actually from my perspective to grow a big church it's actually to make disciples and to have a transformational impact in our community using those metrics you guys are doing an awesome job yeah i agree with all of that don't be scared because i carry a book i always have a book it's a thing with me. And I don't know if you can see from there what's on the front of this book. It's not actually an expensive book, but it has a really cool picture on the front, which is a, uh, a British telephone booth, and it's empty. And I just noticed that today while we were worshiping. I picked it up to write something down. The phone, I've had this book for six months. I just noticed this today. I knew there was a phone booth, but I didn't really realize it was empty. And I think what the Lord wants to say through that is that he has a conversation he wants to have with each one of us. He has things that he wants to say to us. And... Uh, and, and my habit is to write them down. Some of you may have better memories than me, perhaps because you're younger than I am. Um, but here's what I want to say, and it's particularly my, it's interesting how each of us has a different word for a different segment of the group, but my word is for the kids and the youth. So if you're, if you're in, in your, you know, zero to 10, or if you're 12 to 19, or if you're in your 20s, particularly, this word is for you. And if you imagine yourself to be young, right? If you're imagined life, has you as an 18-year-old hockey player, right? Then you can, you can hear this too. And I'm going to ask my brother Larry to hold this mic. Would you do that for me? Okay. This will go better if, some, if I have three hands. So thanks, Larry, for being one of my hands. I learned this week that, that a lot of youth, surprise, surprise, a lot of youth and young adults end up leaving the church. But this week I learned part of the reason that is. And it's partly because of three fears that people have. The fear of missing out, the fear of not being awesome, 
and the fear of passionless monotony. So people look into the future and they think, oh, geez, I don't want to be boring, and I don't want to be dull, and I don't want my life to suck. Does that sound familiar? So, so here's, here's the word of God that I have for you today that will help that not to happen. You need to know that I'm a church kid, right? I grew up in church, and so suck is pretty much the worst word that I say. Um, so don't be, afra- don't be afraid. Okay? Um, 1 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 12, it says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. We talked about small towns and everybody seeing what you do. Let everybody see your progress as a follower of Jesus. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch what you believe. Watch what you do. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here's what, here's what I think the Lord wants me to say to you this morning, especially if you're young. Okay, this will only take a couple more minutes, so, so th- listen hard, okay? Don't let anyone look down on you if you're young, no matter how young you are. I would say to you from my own experience of being a Christian from the age of 7 to 50 so far, no rebellious stage is necessary, right? A lot of times people check out from the church for a while in their teens or their 20s or their 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever. You don't have to do that. It's not necessary. It's not a rite of passage. It's a a lie from the enemy that you've got to go through that. You don't have to do it. But if you really want to go and be radical and crazy and live on the edge and push the boundaries of your life, then do this. Ask God to show you how much he loves you. Ask God to show you how passionate he is about you, how awesome you are to him. You don't have to worry about the fear of not being awesome. You are awesome to God right now. You always have been, and you always will be. Feel secure in the love that will never let you go. Then pray and dream and dream big. Think your own thoughts. Give all that you are and all that you have to all that God is. Be radically sold out to Jesus, and I invite you in your own heart, to pray this prayer or something like it. Dear Lord Jesus, you loved and forgave me first. I love you back. Lead me, God, and be with me, and I'll go wherever you lead me to go and do whatever you lead me to do because you are with me even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus said to us. Amen. God bless you guys. A delight to be with you guys here this morning. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for these amazing men and their, uh, their words. Uh, we just ask that every uh, piece uh, would, would grab our hearts, that we would, we would grow through it. We love you. Keep them safe as they travel, Father. Bless them. Reward them. Uh, show your love for them. Uh, pour yourself out. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Cool. God bless you guys.